0: Well, if you want to glance at your sermon outline, you'll see that we're talking about true spiritual wisdom this morning. And uh, to kind of define our terms maybe just a little bit, I think wisdom, uh, uh, a useful working definition for wisdom is the application of knowledge. That is, that we have a knowledge and then we act, and when we use that well, we're being wise. Uh, which Which is kind of interesting because we all think we're wise, right? We all have a certain amount of knowledge. We apply that the best we can, and we assume that we've been wise. Uh, but there's so much that we're not wise about. Now, there are, there are things we need to be wise about. Getting up, making our beds, going to work, doing a good job, uh, driving a car well, all of those things. Paul's not against those things that we need to know. He's not against knowledge and wisdom in this world. It's just that there's another wisdom that we really, really need. Uh, when, I, when we think back to Adam and Eve in Genesis, you know, they, they looked up and God said, eat from this tree. It's life. Do not eat from this tree. It's the tree of a false spirituality. And Adam and Eve thought they were kind of wise and thought they might even have a thing or two to tell God if they chose this tree in which they could pursue their own spirituality. And, and, and it was, uh, the, the results were terrible, right? Disastrous. And so Paul's addressing that kind of knowledge that we need now because we need knowledge of our sin. We need knowledge of our lack of of righteousness. We need the knowledge of of God's provision of a savior. Because in our wisdom we don't know sin. We think we're doing fine. But we need a spirit who gives us wisdom. So there we we're we're transitioning now from wisdom to spirituality. You know I think when we talk about spirituality today lots of people will say I'm a very spiritual person. I, I connect in some way with something you can't see that's greater than myself. I'm a very spiritual person. And spiritualities are kind of like little bottles on a shelf, and you just kind of go pick one and try it for a while. And if you like that, great. And if you don't, you toss that aside and you pick a different one off the shelf. And you try that spirituality. And We're just, we're just connecting with things that make us feel good. But true spirituality is knowing God. Paul has said true spirituality is knowing God. And knowing God comes only from God revealing himself to us because God is spirit. And it is the Spirit of God who reveals God to us. That's what Paul's talking about today. He says two things. There's a wisdom that saves, and that wisdom is accessed by the Spirit who gives it. We don't reach it. We don't grab it. We don't grasp it. We don't know it until it's revealed to us, and the revealer is the Spirit of God. And so when we look at the word spiritual, the one who is truly spirit you all, is the one who has the Spirit. It is so obvious. The one who has the Spirit is the spiritual person. So we're going to take up and read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll read the whole chapter. We're going to focus on verses 6 to 16 this morning. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself not to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have The mind of Christ. Well, the believers in the church, as we've talked about many times, have become infatuated with wisdom. That's the wisdom of man that's celebrated in Corinth. And up to this point, Paul has been relentlessly negative about that wisdom. He calls the content of man's wisdom foolishness. He describes the method by which men proclaim their wisdom as powerless. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? He says. And then suddenly, here in chapter 2, verse 6, Paul sounds completely different. He's turned a corner to say that, well, there is a wisdom that's genuine and true. There is the wisdom that, that he imparts to the mature. Mature is an interesting choice of words. Who are the mature? Well, our first impression might be, well, there are those who are mature in the faith and those who are immature or infants in the faith. Uh, But that's not what Paul means here. Here, the mature means all believers. Paul's pointing to the church. The mature in verse 6 is the same as those who love God in verse 9, is the same as we who have received the Spirit in verse 12, the spiritual persons in verse 15, So Paul is addressing believers in the church, and he's using this term, the mature. And and notice that he's not only referring to them, but he's including them. He's not saying, this is what I have imparted to you, although that's true. He has come alongside them. He's come alongside the church. Together, this is the wisdom that we believers impart. Paul uses the word mature here. He is is doing something. He is setting something up. When we get to chapter 3, verse 1, he's setting up his use of the word infants. He's going to say, you're supposed to be mature, but you're acting like infants. So he is kind of setting something up as he he selects this word. But let's remember. Remember that Paul has already said in chapter 1, verse 30, that it is because of God that we are in Christ Jesus. This is very helpful. It is because of God that we are in Christ Jesus who has become to us Wisdom from God. So we know where Paul is going. And and it means that we're still in Paul's exposition of true wisdom and spirituality that began back in chapter 1, verse 17. We're still in that same vein. So this wisdom is not, Paul says, the wisdom of this age. It's not the prevailing wisdom of man that's popular with the culture in Corinth. The gospel of the cross is foolishness to the Gentiles. It's not only unreasonable, it's vulgar to them. But Paul is addressing more here than just this moment of time in Corinth. The wisdom that God, Paul promotes is not of this age, is not of this present world order. See, he's not, he's not saying when he says uh, this age, you know, this culture, you know, which is gonna, which is gonna change, or this time which is going to progress. He's not addressing the cultural change or the technological change or the as-time-goes-by change between Corinth, 55 AD, and Maine in 2023. That's not what he's addressing. Both Corinth then and Maine now are in this same present world order, are in this same age. This age is contrasted with the age to come. This age is passing away. In fact, the age to come has already started to break into this age, and it did so with the first coming of Christ. And his kingdom will completely erase this age when he comes again. So this present world order and the wisdom that governs it will be displaced by the kingdom of God and his wisdom. You see, the the wisdom that Paul promotes is different. It has a different source altogether. A different place, a different age, a different ruler. And this wisdom is not the wisdom of the rulers of this age. And by this, Paul is thinking about the Jewish leaders and Pilate who crucified Christ. Uh, In verse 10, we get that here. In verse 10, he says that the rulers of this age are the ones who crucified Jesus. That's who they are. And so it wasn't necessarily the magistrate in Corinth. But it was those who had crucified Christ. Herod. Pilate, the chief priests, the people if they had understood the wisdom we impart they would not have crucified the Lord of Glory if they knew he was the Lord of Glory they wouldn't have crucified him as the Lord of Glory see that's the distinction here the wisdom that the only the mature have accepted is the wisdom that the rulers have rejected they testify to their rejection of the wisdom of God by their crucifixion of the Son who is the Lord of Glory how did they miss it? how did they miss it? Well, because it is the secret and hidden wisdom of God. The saving wisdom of God is a secret because it was was decreed, it was destined by God before the ages. That's what Paul says. It's Genesis is in the mind of God before creation, before any of the ages. So it's hidden from us. We cannot apprehend it by our own wisdom. But how has God predestined to make it known? It's hidden right now so that it can be revealed. How? Well, The wisdom of God is is imparted through the preaching of the gospel, is one answer. So there's no room for boasting. We know what has been imparted to us. We didn't come up with it. So, as the recipients of so great a salvation, we boast in the giver of that salvation. It's because God that we are in Christ Jesus. And this helps us. This helps us with our attitude towards unbelievers, does it not? They're not unbelieving because they're stupid, they're unbelieving because they're still waiting for the Holy Spirit. So there's no boasting or bragging on our part. We're to be humble, knowing that every one of their living souls needs the Spirit. And this wisdom of God is, Paul says, for our glory. Does that that strike you as odd? It's for our glory. It's for the glory of the mature, those who accept it, believe it, and live by it. That kind of sounds odd to us. Surely Paul means for God's glory, right? That's where all the glory belongs. Surely Paul means it's for God's glory. Well, yes. But also, yes. Paul says, we have a share in God's glory. What God predestined before any of the ages will yield our glory. God is bringing us into his glory. The way glory is... Through the cross. The way to it is through the cross. It's this through Christ crucified that we receive this glory. That glory was predestined by God before the ages, will be received at full at the end of the ages, and yet we still have a part of it in this present age by which to live. Because the glory of God's been revealed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, lived in hope. What is this glory? What is this glory? Well, this is what Paul goes to explain or describe from Isaiah 64.4. In verse 9, Paul quotes roughly, it's kind of a mishmash of a couple of Old Testament verses, but it's mainly Isaiah 64 verse 4. And he's just, he's just, he's thinking. He can see the wheels in his imagination turning. His mind's eye is seeing what no eye has seen, nor ear heard nor the heart of a man even imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. See, now the interesting thing is that the context of Isaiah chapter 64 is is a prayer for mercy. It's a prayer for mercy, a prayer that God would be merciful to His people, that God would come down and reveal His glorious presence to His people, something we couldn't We couldn't even imagine. See, Paul clearly sees that prayer fulfilled where? In Jesus Christ. God comes down and fulfills this this by by, by sending Jesus Christ in his righteous life and in his sin-atoning death and in his life-giving resurrection. Unbelievers see in the cross a dead man and a failed mission. But we who believe see the love of God. We see the mercy and the grace of God. When we behold Christ who died for us, our hearts are awakened to love God back. We reciprocate God's love. And so the mature, the ones with the spirit, are the ones who love God because he first loved us in the person of Jesus Christ. Why not boast in ourselves? Why not boast in ourselves because we've been so blessed? I've been so blessed! Careful now. We've said that. Have we said it with a boasting attitude? Some of us have. You know a lot of Christians make their spirituality about themselves. How ironic, how perverse. For us to make our spirituality about ourselves and not about Christ. Look at verse 10. Because these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Look again at verse 10. Let me read a couple of verses. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. that the Holy Spirit knows the deep things of God, the hidden and secret things of God, by using an illustration from our own human experience. Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, Paul says. You you are able to recognize and reflect on your own thoughts. But I don't know for certain what you're thinking, unless you reveal that to me. Unless you reveal your thoughts to me. In the same way, God's thoughts are completely inaccessible to us unless God reveals his thinking to us. And only the Holy Spirit of God knows God's thoughts and is able to reveal to us the secret and hidden things of God, the true wisdom of God. By the way, it's not Paul's point, but we see that the Spirit is not a force or a fluid, or a power. He's a person. His searching and knowing and understanding and communicating reveals the Spirit's personhood. Which means that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Now reading this, you might think that the Holy Spirit's an an outside firm hired to audit God and report the results. He's going to go, He's going to search the deep filing cabinets of God and report the results in a report. No, just as your spirit knows you, God's spirit knows God because the Holy Spirit is himself God. And yet, we see that the spirit has a certain relationship with God and with Christ. Such that his work begins with the wisdom of God and results in us having the mind of Christ. Okay, that's profound. This one triune God, the Holy Spirit, one person of it, knows, knows the person of God and his mind and his thoughts, and he gives to us those minds and his thoughts in the mind of Christ. We're the recipients. Now that should cause us to pause and just be in awe of the glory of the Spirit's work. Every day we wake up and we think, what am I going to do today? How am I going to serve God today? How is my spirituality about me today? And if we would stop and reflect and say, look at what the Spirit has done. This is what my spirituality is about. The Spirit. And the wisdom of God. And the power of Christ. All of these things. are the Spirit's work. What is Paul's main point if that's just... That's just kind of a thing over here in the margin. Well, Paul has just explained how it is that believers come to know the saving wisdom of God. That's kind of a big deal. It is because we have received the Spirit of God. You see how passive we are in all of this? We're just the receivers. The mark of true believers, the mark of true spirituality is that we have received the Holy Spirit who is from God. We have not received the spirit of this world. The lowercase s spirit here is not a person. It's an attitude. It's a prevailing attitude that's in the world. We've not received that. Rather, we have received the indwelling spirit of God and Christ who is himself a person. We've received the presence of the being of God. That's what it means to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And for what wise purpose has the Spirit taken up residence in each believer? So that we would understand what God has given to us. Namely, Christ who is the wisdom of God manifested in grace and forgiveness and redemption and sanctification our identification in Christ and our unity together with Christ we would understand those things we did not by our own wisdom wrestle to win the knowledge of God nor grasp his wisdom by our reasoning we did not think our way to God we cannot it is by the gift of the Spirit that we know and understand What God Himself has given to us. Think about this just for a second. If you, by your doing, apprehended the saving knowledge of God, admit it. You would raise your hands in celebration of yourself, of your accomplishment, because that was what would it would be. It would be your accomplishment. And you would expect the people standing around you to congratulate you as well. And yet we know that it's not at all what God's after. We know that no one will boast in the presence of the Lord. So that can't be right. It's all of God. You know because He has given you His Spirit so that you can know Him. So we boast in the Lord. We raise our hands in praise of the Lord. And we impart spiritual wisdom to others in spiritual words. See, the Spirit reveals the wisdom of God in words. Paul has been saying, Logos, 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 words, 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 all the way through chapters 1 and 2. We... We come to know God through the Spirit-revealed words, not by some mystical experience that words can't even describe. The gospel is a message in words that can be heard, that can be understood, that can be believed. So we impart the gospel with words, but not with words of eloquent wisdom, not with lofty speech the way the great orators in Corinth teach human wisdom, because man is not the source of this wisdom. Paul says. The wisdom that the Spirit has imparted to us, we now impart to one another using words taught by the Spirit. Words like cross and Christ crucified. Words in your Bible. Those are the words. Those are the words we use to teach and explain spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. The Holy Spirit did not reveal to Paul concepts for Paul to explain the best he could. Have at it, Paul. See what you can do. The Holy Spirit gave Paul words. All scripture is breathed out by God's Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy chapter 3:16. The writers of your Bible were inspired to write words by the Holy Spirit. 2 Second Peter chapter 1 verse 21. Where do we find these, these words to use to explain the wisdom of God? Where, are oh aware, dear brother and sister, do we find those? In your Bible. When you read your Bible, you are reading the revelatory work of the Holy Spirit. What has the Spirit done? He's revealed the wisdom of God to us. And when you understand and believe the words in your Bible, you are experiencing the illuminating and enlightening work of the Holy Spirit. Well, gosh, I don't know, I just... I read my Bible, I don't feel the Holy Spirit. If you believe, you're feeling the Holy Spirit. He is illuminating and enlightening these things as true. Because it is by the Spirit's work that you know God. The wisdom of God is not just located in a library of 66 books. The wisdom of God is located in a personal relationship with God himself. That's what it means to know God. We've been brought into a relationship with God the Father who loves the Son and the Spirit. We've been brought into a relationship with God the Son who loves the Father and the Spirit. We've been brought into a relationship with the Spirit of God who loves the Father and the Son. Because this relationship of the triune God is is perfect love. That's what we've been brought into. By the Spirit. We see the love of God on display in the cross, don't we? Yes? Amen. We see it in the Son of God crucified to cleanse us of our sins, to make us righteous in God's sight. But the true location of the love of God is in the eternal love relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. That's where it's located. And by faith in the gospel, we have been brought into the love of God, who is himself love. John says, God's love. The Spirit has done that. Who does the Bible acknowledge to be truly spiritual people? Does the Bible call anybody truly spiritual people? Yes. Those who have the Spirit of God. See, Paul is contrasting believers and unbelievers. The natural person is the unbeliever. He does not accept the words that come from the Holy Spirit. You and I were once that way. Those who do not believe, they also hear the things of the Spirit. They have the gospel preached to them, but they just don't accept them. Those words seem foolish to those who are perishing. It's not that believers can't mentally grasp or comprehend the basics of the gospel. Paul is saying that they just don't welcome the message because it strikes them as manifestly untrue. In fact, they're unable to understand the truth and the significance of the gospel because it's discerned only through the Spirit, which they don't have. No matter how much they protest and say, I'm a spiritual person, they're not a truly spiritual person. The believer, the spiritual person, is able to judge or evaluate everything. Paul is not saying that we are all geniuses and know all there is to know. He means that those who have the Spirit are now able to evaluate and discern spiritual matters. Especially the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially Christ crucified. And then Paul adds that believers in Christ are judged by no one. He's not saying that we never make mistakes or that we're above criticism. I also don't think that Paul means that as believers God is now our only judge, although it is true that God is the ultimate judge of all. I think what Paul is, is doing here is that he is still contrasting those with the Spirit to those without the Spirit. Since unbelievers do not understand the things of the Spirit, they lack the capacity to evaluate truly spiritual people. That's why they don't get you. They don't understand why you say no to obviously fun things that you could be doing. They don't know why you're here this morning doing something that's utterly boring to them I hope only them. They can't comprehend the fundamental reality by which we live. Our overriding commitment to Christ which drives our lives remains a mystery to the natural person because they lack the Holy Spirit. Paul sums it up this way. Since they can't understand the mind of the Lord so as to be able to instruct him, they are not able to instruct us in spiritual matters because we have the mind of Christ who is our Lord. Paul takes those words, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 13, which is illuminating for us. In Isaiah chapter 40, God promises to bring Israel out of their captivity in Babylon. God makes that promise. But Israel doesn't believe it. It seemed too foolish to believe that broken down, defeated, scattered Israel could possibly be freed from the superpower of Babylon that has consumed them. Which just shows that the thoughts of God are are higher and far above the thoughts of humans. God has plans of incomparable goodness for those who have his spirit and the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ because we have the spirit. And that is true spiritual wisdom. Well, Scott, what's the practical application of all this? I think the practical application of all this is that it should make you feel very small. So that your view of God is very big. And it should make your Christian spirituality not at all self-focused. But entirely God-focused. Because all of this is from grace. All of this is from grace. By the Holy Spirit, we have gained an understanding of the things of God and of the gospel of Christ. We have gained an understanding of the nature of your sin and the nature of grace. We have gained an understanding of the scripture and of the church. We have gained an understanding of the world and an understanding of life. We've gained an understanding of death. these are the things that the spiritual person understands and the natural person does not. We have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? The Corinthians thought that being spiritual somehow made them superior. Right? They were glory grabbers. Make a name for yourself. We often think that too. That's what Paul's fighting in this letter. Because when the Spirit is in you, he brings you the mind of Christ. And what was the mind of Christ? I suppose it could be a lot of things, but it's at least this, according to Paul in his letter to the Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, humbled himself, made himself of no recognition to suffer and die upon the cross for sinners. The work of the Holy Spirit is finally here defined in the work of Jesus. Christ crucified on the cross. The essential aspect of of being a spiritual person who has the Spirit is to think like Christ. To make ourselves of no reputation in order to glorify the Father. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is one of thanksgiving. Thank you for giving us the Spirit that we might know you. Our prayer is one of understanding that because you have given us the Spirit, we understand that the sacrifice of your precious Son was necessary for our salvation. And so we declare that he is righteous and good and saving. And our prayer is one of praise. Not to us, O Lord, but to you be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.